0: Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, for some music, and then Pastor Brian Bully. Our gospel reading this morning is the second chapter of Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they ask, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. and frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. There he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. Took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Have you ever looked back and found that something you thought was a serious problem had led you to do something that was the greatest blessing? It happened to me over 25 years ago. I've been working for about a year for a company in Atlanta. A part of working, as part of working for the company, I had bought a brand new Ford Aerostar van, the extended version that seated seven people, with fold-down back seats for more cargo space. It was the XLT long version and it had the four-cylinder engine so it would go zero to 60 eventually. (laughs) Taught me strategic planning. It wasn't the vehicle I would have bought, but it was the vehicle my boss insisted that I buy because it it could carry a lot of equipment as well as several of the salesmen from work. In fact, I wouldn't have bought any vehicle at all except that the buying of the vehicle was a condition of the job. Now, he did give me an expense allowance to pay for the vehicle and the gasoline to run it. Our older vehicle was a nearly paid-off Ford Escort. As I say, I'd been working about a year for the company when it developed cash flow problems and I was laid off. Here I was. With no job and no income, Sandra was now pregnant and on mandatory bed rest with our next daughter, so she couldn't work. I remember being so upset because now I had those van payments that I had not really wanted on a van I hadn't needed. And so I sent out resumes, 121 resumes. I got one nibble from a recruiter who said he'd call me back the next week, and then I discovered he'd been transferred to Texas. So I could see my finances dying as those monthly payments on the, that unwanted, expensive van came due. But God had another plan for me. A Christian man encouraged me to start my own business. He'd met me once before. He loaned me startup money, which I soon paid back. And in a few months, <coughs> Sandra was driving that van <coughs> with our littlest one around Atlanta, picking up 500 pound industrial control panels that just barely fit in the back of that van with the back seats down. That van was absolutely necessary in God's plan for our business to get started up. And we would never have been able to get the loan for the van if we had started when I was unemployed. What serious problems have you encountered in your life that turned out to be a blessing when you look back upon it? Joseph must have been very upset at the decree that came from the Romans that all people must return to the ancestral home of their ancestors to be counted. You can just imagine Him grumbling with every step that donkey took and every groan that Mary gave as they traveled the hundred miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You can imagine him just fuming with anger at this. But God had decreed that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem through the prophet Micah. And so without understanding, Joseph and Mary ended up in that stable or that cave in Bethlehem, and they greeted the baby Jesus. It was only looking back upon things that they realized that the long journey had been part of God's plan all along. And what a blessing. For a careful analysis of the various stories in Matthew and Luke show us that being in Bethlehem meant that Jesus could easily be presented at the temple in Jerusalem a little bit later, less than five miles away. Being in Bethlehem meant that Joseph was now in the heart of Jewish country. And he was a carpenter. And so he built Mary and and Jesus a home in Bethlehem. And he stayed in the area working because there was plenty of work. That's the nice thing about some jobs like being a carpenter. You can live anywhere where there's some wood. And some months later, perhaps as many as two years later, there was a knock at the door in that house where Mary and Joseph and Jesus were staying. A new star, you see, had appeared in the western sky to a group of magi somewhere in the east, probably in Babylon or Persia. The magi were a group of astrologers and scientists at the court of Persia, most likely descendants of that same group of men that Daniel had been a part of and led almost 500 years before. They had seen the star... And they understood that this star fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick blackness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn, and all Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. The Magi had traveled some 1,500 miles, most likely on foot and camelback. How many were there? Well, the Bible account doesn't say. But there were likely more than three men because that was a late 5th century story along with their traditional names and identifying them as kings. Traveling across the desert was a difficult and dangerous task so they likely brought servants and guards and there may have been as many as a dozen magi. Well, they came to Jerusalem and King Herod heard that they were in town and that they were telling people that they had seen the star of the Messiah meaning the Messiah had been born somewhere and things were going to change. And all of Jerusalem was in a tizzy because Herod was not the most well-liked ruler, the most well-liked king in history. Herod knew this too. He understood that this newborn infant could become the center of a rebellion to him and destroy his reign. It was like Vladimir Putin today being told that a young man had been born who was going to overthrow him and become the next king, the good king of Russia. Imagine what Putin would do Well, Herod called the Magi to his home to speak with him. The Magi told King Herod when the star had appeared and asked for help finding the infant. Herod's men, experts in Old Testament prophecy, told them that the Messiah would be found in Bethlehem, for it was Herod's, with Herod's encouragement that the experts were consulted because he figured to let the Magi do the house-to-house search, and then he would follow up and find this potential rival and take care of him however he wanted. But he told the Magi that he wanted to find the infant so he could worship them, him also. So the Magi went to find the babe. Well, it's only a five-mile trip. When they found him, they bowed down and they worshipped him. And this is why the day is known as Epiphany, the day humans recognize that Jesus was God on the earth for the first time. For an Epiphany is a sudden recognition of a deep truth or it's an appearance of God. The Magi, though they weren't kings, they were wealthy and they did bring gifts. Traditionally, the gifts acknowledge different aspects of Jesus and who he would become. The gold is a gift given to a king by which he may raise an army and equip his soldiers with swords and armor. Jesus is to be the king of kings of the earth. The frankincense, the dried up sap from a tree which grows on the Arabian sea coast, is traditionally burned as incense by the high priest in many different religions. It signifies that Jesus is our high priest, building a bridge between us and God. And myrrh, another dried up sap from a different tree on the Arabian seacoast that was traditionally burned to cover the smell of a decaying body. It was the gift you would give to someone who could guide you from life into death and then into the next life. It was the gift for a god So the visit happened, and then the Magi prepared to leave the next morning to go back to Herod and tell him exactly where they had found the boy. But once again, God stepped in to ensure a good outcome for a bad situation. The Magi were warned about King Herod's evil intention to kill Jesus in a dream. And so they bypassed Jerusalem on the way home. And Joseph, well, Joseph was warned in another dream to take Jesus and Mary and leave immediately for Egypt. The angel in the dream even told Joseph to stay in Egypt until he told him it was safe, for Herod was going to try to kill Jesus. Have you ever had someone in a dream tell you, wait for, the, wait for part two, the next installment of your dream? Joseph, oh that we would all listen to God's assurances and warnings like Joseph did, he roused the family that night. and They left for, for Egypt in the middle of the night. No prying eyes saw the path that the family took. No prying eyes could tell anybody which way they'd gone, like they might have done if he'd waited till daybreak. And once again, Joseph, by following God's command, without question, he avoided a serious problem. A problem that, you know, most people would have worried about this for days, Should I uproot everyone and hit the road? It's going to be such a pain to move. After all, I just built a new house. Where are we going to find food? And you know all the worries. I mean, could you leave your house today, like in the next hour? Well, Joseph had the dream, though. He woke up and he loaded the family and their go bag on the donkey, and they headed south to Egypt. They just left town. He'd learned to trust God in those angelic dreams. After all, his first angelic dream had assured him that Mary was telling the truth about the Holy Spirit being the father of Jesus. Joseph had learned to listen to God. And so they left, possibly just hours ahead of Herod's troops. And Herod was angry. He'd hoped to find the location of the infant from the, remain, from the returning magi so that he could capture or kill Jesus. Jesus. But they had outsmarted him because they had listened to their dream. So he sent troops to Bethlehem with orders to kill every boy under two years old just to be sure that they got him. After all, Bethlehem was less than five miles from Jerusalem. It wasn't a difficult task. And so Matthew tells us another prophecy was fulfilled, this time from Jeremiah 31. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they're no more. Rachel was the favorite wife of Jacob, the patriarch whose name had been changed by God to Israel. And Rachel was also the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. And Bethlehem is located in the ancient territory of the tribe of Benjamin. And Rachel's tomb is located even today just outside Bethlehem. That prophecy from 600 years earlier referred to this slaughter. But Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and the donkey were headed for Egypt, traditionally to Alexandria, where there are churches that celebrate this. There they stayed until King Herod the Great died, which turned out to only be a matter of a few months. And then there was another dream and the family returned to Israel. But when Joseph heard that Archelaus, the son of Herod the Great, was now the king in Judea, the area around Jerusalem, and still another dream warned him, Joseph headed up, back up north to Nazareth, located a hundred miles to the north near the Sea of Galilee. And this trip also fulfilled another prophecy, he shall be called a Nazarene. It can be confusing because there are several men mentioned in the Bible who were called King Herod. There was King Herod the Great, who built the temple, who met with the Magi and slaughtered the boys of, of Bethlehem, and most likely died in 4 BC, just a few months after Jesus was born. Most historians today accept that Dionysus Exeguus, who was a monk who lived around 500 in what's now Romania, invented the idea of dating years since the birth of, of Jesus, that he'd made an error in determining when Jesus was born. But by the time the mistake was found, the system had been used for over a thousand years. So most serious scholars today believe that Jesus was born in 4 BC, shortly before Herod the Great died. Other men, called Herod, include his son, Herod Archelaus, who ruled for the next 10 years, and another son, Herod Philip, who ruled the area east of Galilee. Herod Antipas was another son of Herod the Great, who took over Galilee and some other areas. And he was the one that was ruling at the time of Jesus' crucifixion in 33. And then there was another son, a grandson, Herod Agrippa, who took over in the late 30s, and reunited parts of Israel until he died in 44. And then finally, the Romans put in Agrippa II, who was the last of the dynasty. And after his death, the Romans ruled Judea directly, beginning around 92. But you know, Joseph had long since passed on. He'd gone to his reward. We know that Joseph the carpenter who loved Mary, was alive when Jesus was age 12 and stayed behind to talk to the teachers at the temple. But Joseph is gone by the time Jesus begins his ministry around age 30. At one point, Mary and Jesus' brothers show up to take Jesus away because they thought Jesus had lost his mind. But there's no Joseph. Of course, the average life expectancy at that time was only 40 years or so. So it's not surprising that Joseph had died by the time Jesus is 30. Now what can we learn from Joseph? Well, there's several lessons. First, we can learn to trust what God tells us. Even in dreams, each of Joseph's angelic visions are described as dreams. No flesh-and-blood angel ever appears to Joseph, but the man understood when he had received a message from God. And Joseph listened to those messages, even though they were not nearly as substantial as the tools and wood with which he worked. For dreams and words and ideas can change the world even more than the hard objects that we can touch and feel. The greatest men and women of the world have changed the world simply by speaking and writing, rarely through their swords or guns or material objects that they've made. For you see, dreams are one way that God speaks to us. And dreams, not just the ones at night, but the, the dreams that the Spirit gives to us of, the, of who we will be and what we will make of the future and what we will accomplish. These dreams are critical to the Christian life in so many ways. What are your dreams Second, just because something seems miraculous and never happened before is not a good reason to scoff at the report of someone you've known to have good character and be truthful in all things so far. Joseph did not reject Mary's story as the story of a crazy mixed-up girl. He struggled because he knew her good character. And yet the story was so fantastic And so he was inclined to believe her, even though the story was fantastic. And that made him ready to listen to the angel in his dream. If you have a reputation for honesty and being sober and truthfulness, people will probably be more likely to listen to you when you tell them what God has done in your life. And they will be more likely to believe in the God that we love. Third, listening to and trusting God comes with practice, just as any other skill. You have to learn to recognize the voice of God. By the time the angelic dream told Joseph to head to Egypt, Joseph didn't hesitate, but he took immediate action. Two stories from our life. They are the eagles and the lilacs. When we were in Atlanta... We were struggling with living in a certain place, whether we should go and move or whether we should testify to the people who were there who were quite involved in the occult. One day, Sandra goes to a, to a BSF meeting, and the woman talks about how you will be lifted up on wings like eagles and said, Do you need, are, is life uncomfortable for you? You need to fly. Within two weeks, we were settled in a new place. A little later, we were looking at moving to Lowell. We'd been up here. It was that winter when there was three foot of snow on the ground, and we came up when there was still two foot of snow on the ground, and we looked at the house, and we decided that was the house we wanted. We went back down, and we were worried because in Atlanta, 40% of the houses don't close. There's always a problem, it seems like. So we were wondering if the house was going to close, and the pastor down there said... You will rise up on wings like eagles. And we turned to each other, and we said, The house just closed, because we had learned to listen on that. We drove up, and on the way, Sandra said, Do you think we can plant a lilac bush? And she told the story of when she was young. She would take lilac branches and take them into the house, with the blooms on them, lay them on her pillow, close up the, door, the windows and the door, and then go back out and then come back in that evening, it would smell like a lilac. And she loves lilacs. And when we got to Lowell, we could now see that there were two lilac bushes in bloom, one under our bedroom window and one in front of the door to the warehouse where Sandra was going to be working. A little later, we, we were in Clarksburg and Sandra was assigned a new church and she was worried about the church. And she went to the church in September for the first time and there was a lilac branch in bloom. So we look, we look for, wing, for the wings of eagles and we look for lilacs. There's a bunch of them around the, the parsonage down here. That tells us there's a good place to be. Fourth, we don't always have to be the center of the story. Joseph, you notice, is nowhere mentioned when the Magi come to visit Jesus and Mary. Was he out working on a job or had he gone to buy supplies? We don't know, but the story, all stories, is about Jesus rather than Joseph or us. In all the stories of conversion, in all the stories of miracles, in all the stories about the great things that happen, we are not the center of the story. Jesus, God, and Holy Spirit is the center. For after all, history is not written about us, it's His story. We aren't the stars, we're just the supporting cast, or even we're just the extras that walk around in the background of the movie while the real star of the show, Jesus, changes the world. It's not about us. And finally, love and kindness can lead us to experience far more miracles than roughness and practicality. If Joseph had been rough and followed rigidly the rules of the day, he might have had Mary stoned to death. But he didn't, for he loved her, and he was kind. Even his plan before the first angelic dream was a kind, loving plan. When I see miracles, it's rarely at home. Where is miracles? It's when I decide to be kind and loving and visit someone in the hospital. When I pray for someone there, that's when I see the miracles happen. Love and kindness sets the stage for miracles to happen. Go outside yourself, visit people, pray, and watch for the miracles where you have shown love and kindness. Joseph, before he listened to God and continued to be kind and loving, if he, you know he ended up spending more time with the young Jesus than anyone else ever has. Wouldn't you like to spend years with Jesus? working and teaching him as he taught you every day. This year is the beginning of the rest of our lives. This is the year we can choose to get serious about getting close to Jesus. It's the year when we can read about him every day, when we can study and discuss him with others a couple times a week in Sunday school and the midweek Wednesday night study group. And this is the year when we can use what we already know to introduce other people to Jesus. And that's really very simple. Simply begin talking about God and Jesus and church briefly with everyone you speak to. Begin speaking more and more to strangers. Find out their names. Andy does this all the time. We were over in Elkins. We walked into a restaurant with him. By the time the waitress has come to the table the second time, he's got her name. She comes back. It's always, hi, Alexa, hi, Alexa, hi, Alexa. The guy who delivered the food, hi John, how you doing? He's met him before. He knows so many people there. He's got so many friends because he simply focuses upon the names of people. He finds out their hopes and hurts, their dreams and nightmares, and helps them see where our mutual friend and Lord Jesus has helped us, and that he can help them. You can do the same. And if we do that, if we all were to do that, by the end of the year, we'll have many new friends, and that will have been a miracle that Jesus has done for us, just like the other wonderful things he's done for us in the past. And so learn from Joseph. Try to get closer to the babe, the child, the teenager who Jesus became, and the King of Kings who will be our ever-ready-to-help friend. Go and speak to Jesus. Learn about him. And speak to others about him. Amen. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10:30 a.m and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off i-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC. 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitomethodists.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you, and God bless you in your life.